0: Welcome to episode 1441 of Effectively Wild, a Fangraphs baseball podcast brought to you by our Patreon supporters. I'm Meg Rowley of Fangraphs, and I am joined, as always, by Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer. Ben, how are you?
1: Oh my goodness, how Ray? am I? <laughs> I'm doing considerably better than I was <laughs> about... 12 hours or so ago although I've not <laughs> slept since then so oh dear feeling a little loopy we're recording on Thursday before ALDS game 5 but after the NLDS game 5s and what a wild day it was.
0: Oh, my stars. Just uh, <laughs> just truly, and, and such different versions of wild presented <laughs> yeah. to us yes. in these games. <laughs> I, at one point, we will talk about both of them. At one point, when the Dodgers were up early on uh, the Nationals, I, who was watching this game with uh, Brandon Golowski, who writes for Fangraphs, we both said, ah. I hope that they can stabilize this cuz after the laffer this earlier this afternoon, we need a good game. And yeah. boy did we get one.
1: <laughs> there was a point in the 6th or 7th inning or so where it seemed like the Dodgers were cruising and yeah. the, the first game was over and I was thinking, what are we even going to have to talk about? What a dud this day was. We were so excited for these games and then oh boy, I I felt things. <laughs> yeah. Before that game was over and after that game was over and we had tentatively discussed recording right after that game. And I'm kind of glad we didn't because I I was like a raw nerve right then. My emotions were surging. I don't know what I would have said at that time. And I had uh, some hours to write about things that I was feeling. And now we have reconvened here. And I don't know that I've changed my mind about anything all that much. But it's a little less raw and immediate, at least for me. Although maybe not for Dodgers fans.
0: Oh my goodness! Should we <laughs> should we start with Cardinals Braves just to get it? I don't want to give short shrift to the first <laughs> inning of that game or some of the interesting decisions that were made uh, later in it. But should we get that out of the way, as it were?
1: I don't know. I, I kind of don't want to wait. I want to get okay. right to the good stuff. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I guess we should tease what we will be doing at the end oh, of yeah. this episode. So <laughs> we, we have a, a guest who will be joining us, Sarah Ziegler from 538, who is the sports editor there and the host of Hot Takedown, their sports podcast, and also a lifelong Twins fan and so we invited her on to talk about her pain and her psychological suffering and what it means to be the fan of a team that has the longest postseason losing streak ever in baseball and we also got into other things like which is the worst way to lose is it being a Mariners fan or being a Twins fan or is it more painful to be a Braves fan after the way they lost in the NLTS or a Dodgers fan after the way they lost and so there's some general interest stuff there so- well, some twin stuff. So that's a fun chat. But before we get to that, there's just so much to discuss. <laughs> Probably best that we didn't podcast right away, because I, I don't know that I could have podcasted responsibly, because I I felt <laughs> about as worked up as I have in the aftermath of any game since I think the 2014 NLCS wow. when Mike Matheny brought in Michael Waka for no <sighs> discernible reason when Trevor Rosenthal was ready and warming up and then he said it wasn't a save situation and then we got on the mic and I got as close to ranting about things as I've probably ever gotten in the history of the podcast which is not really all that close but close for me (laughs) that's what I was feeling basically for this game both I guess indignation at how it had happened but also like deep empathy for Clayton Kershaw and Dodgers fans and also complete Puzzlement and confusion and yet also happiness for Nationals fans who won a postseason series. So it was just the full spectrum of reactions.
0: I think I think the first time I felt something at all while watching this game was that goofy almost home run yeah, uh, that Jock Peterson hit. And uh and you know, I like I like weird stuff. I like it mm-hmm. when baseball gets weird and that that had a little weird to it and then- and What then, was going on with
1: the walls in that game? Why are yeah, the walls so, so sticky? Why, why do they have holes in them?
0: What is <laughs> what is happening? This feels like very suboptimal construction. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: And so I thought, oh, maybe it'll get weird. And then Max <laughs> Muncy was like, no, it will not. And he hit this home run that was not at all controversial. And I thought, oh, Christ, like the na- uh, poor nationals. So I start. That was I started to feel something. If we were doing a, a feelings expectancy uh, graph or something, that was that was yeah. the first spike. And then, and then you know, like you said, they were kind of moving along. Mm-hmm. Kind of cruising, and I think uh, I think the next time that I felt a thing was when poor Kurt Suzuki took a ball. Oh yes, kind of to the face. Yeah, and the the broadcast did the thing that broadcasts do, where they you know they replayed it. And generally, I am I am opposed to those sorts of things just cuz I just don't want to look at it but I actually appreciated the replay this time because it allowed you to see that while what happened was and we should say like clearly Walker Bueller did not intend to bean mm-hmm. uh Suzuki here but it had seemed based on how he went down that he had just taken the ball full in the face mm-hmm. and so I actually appreciated the replay to learn that it, while still bad it had you know been been muted somewhat by uh, yes. by the helmet but then you know they were uh, that, and then Walker Bueller was left in, and I thought, mm-hmm. well, hey, that's a, that's a choice.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was the first little tremor, the yep. first little warning sign that yep. something might be about to happen. Yep. That decision, in isolation, was not the weirdest, certainly. No. And if the rest of the game had gone differently, we wouldn't really be giving it a second thought. Nope. It's just that. When you add it to the cascade of decisions that came after that, that was just the the first sign that, yeah. uh oh, we're in for something here because right, Bueller went to 117 pitches, which has somehow become commonplace in the postseason all of a sudden. It's like we've flashed back 15 years. I don't know where all these 117, 120 pitch outings have come from. I think we've already had four or five, and there were zero last year in the entire postseason. So that's strange. But – he was facing the order for the third time. He got out of a sort of rough sixth inning where he had given up a run and looked like he was laboring a little bit, and then Roberts brought him back out, and he got in a little bit of trouble. He put a couple guys on, and then lo and behold, who was running in from the bullpen, but Clayton Kershaw. <laughs> so...
0: so... He runs in from the bullpen. Yes. And Adam Eaton goes down swinging. Yes. And my shoulders dropped. I was like, okay. Yeah. This might be fine. Mm-hmm. This might. This might be okay. <laughs> you know. And then the the Nationals countered with Rainey, and then Patrick Corbin mm-hmm. eventually. Yep. And and then Rendon comes out, and there's Clayton Kershaw again. <laughs> And it is a funny thing when you have two franchises that have, it is hard to describe either of these as being particularly like bad luck franchises in a more general sense because I, uh, you know, the Dodgers are the Dodgers and despite the long sort of inability to reach the CS, the Nationals have had good seasons, winning seasons and great players but it is a weird thing when two teams that have a bit of a postseason narrative uh, brush up against each other because they can't both lose.
1: Right. And <laughs> so Kershaw you are. The Kershaw narrative and the Nationals narrative. Yeah.
0: And so you are looking for moments when your spidey sense tingles about which which direction the baseball gods are going to to look and i i tend to think that the baseball gods are pretty fickle and uh petty and i think that they engage in their own myopic weird little bits of business i think of them a lot like the gods in jason and the argonauts where they're just <laughs> like you know they're moving pieces around on the board and it's as much about their own interests as it is about like the, the folks who are down there trying to fend off skeletons and uh and and here you see, here he stood Kershaw against Rendon and you were like i don't know how this is going to go and yeah. then he uh he got into a favorable a uh, Rendon got into a favorable count and then mm. and then it went badly
1: Yes, it went very badly after that.
0: And then it went very badly after that again.
1: (laughs) Yep, and then again after that. (laughs) So the initial decision to bring in Kershaw at all and to bring him in with runners in scoring position when he came in, it was not surprising, really. It was pretty predictable because... They had kind of telegraphed this, and Roberts had talked about how he was planning to piggyback these guys. And I think people raised objections at that time because it just didn't seem particularly necessary to use Kershaw in this way. For the Nationals, it did to use Corbin, to use Scherzer. But the Dodgers have a a deeper pen with more dependable relievers than the Nationals do. And also, Kershaw is not the pitcher he was when he was doing this a few years ago to great effect when he got the save in Game 5 against the Nationals in the NLDS. He is not quite that guy anymore who you just go way out of your way to get into the game. It's not like we can't lose with Clayton Kershaw in the bullpen. He's a very good pitcher, but he's not best pitcher in baseball. Need to get this guy in there, especially because he's not— trained for this. He's done it before, obviously, but it's not something he does regularly. And so there were other options available at that point, and they could have gone to Adam Kolarik, the lefty specialist, and Mm -hmm. he could have tackled Eaton, and then he could have just been careful with Rendon to lead off the next inning. And then he could have faced Juan Soto, who he's sort of been the specialist for in the series and faced him three times already and had been warming up a fourth time to face him. So they could have done that. They could have done various other things. (laughs) They could have, I guess gone to Kershaw for one out and not brought him back out for the eighth and instead started the inning with Maeda, let's say, and had Maeda pitch carefully to Soto. Either way, you were going to get at least one platoon disadvantaged plate appearance right. unless you really wanted to go wild with matchups. But that's okay. Like Maeda is great against righties, but he's a starting pitcher. Usually he's he's used to facing lefties. Right. That would be okay, probably. Right. So they didn't do that. They pushed Kershaw, and and maybe Roberts got a little greedy, and I don't know whether it's just that he still thinks of Kershaw as Pete Kershaw, which... His post game comments seem to suggest. You know, he was saying essentially Kershaw's the best pitcher of his generation. He's the best pitcher in the game or one of the best pitchers in the game. And I'm, I'm comfortable having him out there anytime. Which, if it were purely the postseason narrative and the episodes of unclutchness that he were ignoring, I would sort of applaud that. But he also seems to be ignoring the recent results and the fact that he throws 89 now and in this outing was throwing his sliders and His fastball's 89, which is not Mm -hmm. really great when there's zero separation there Mm -mm. for Kershaw. So it was that. And I don't know whether he got caught up in the drama of the moment and he wanted to give this guy who's meant so much to the franchise the chance to play a pivotal role here or to have him redeem the playoff demons or just to channel the memory of 2016 when he got the save. I I don't know what, but he said it was not, an analytically driven decision it was kind of like a, a gut feel thing which doesn't necessarily mean that there weren't some numbers underlying it but that's how he portrayed it and that's how it seemed and so it was just kind of questionable i think to go to him at all and to keep going to him when you had this full bullpen and Dustin May and Jansen and Maeda and Rias. And I mean, you could keep naming guys, Kelly, who, well, we'll talk about Kelly, but.
0: (laughs) So I, I confessed to the world, my anxiety on behalf of strangers and so uh, how I ended up feeling in this moment is very inconsequential compared to how Clayton Kershaw ended up feeling in this moment. So I'd like to state mm-hmm. that for the record up front. But one of the knock-on effects of this sequence was that a whole bunch of people on Twitter were like, hey, you must feel terrible. And I was like, I really do. I really yeah. feel very <laughs> terrible. Yeah. And then uh, the first, he gives up the first home run and mm-hmm. you go, oh no.
1: Yeah. And not a then, terrible pitch. Not a way. terrible
0: pitch. This mm-hmm. is the thing. And so in that moment, in that not terrible pitch moment, you think to yourself, well, this doesn't have to mean anything. I mean, it means right. something. It means that now the, the, the two-run deficit is now one-run deficit. But you think mm-hmm. to yourself, uh, it wasn't a bad pitch. He could be fine. Maybe he'll mm-hmm. get a little, he'll get a little uh, ground ball out. And then and then Juan Soto will go back to the dugout and Howie Kendrick, who again we'll talk about in a minute, will come up and he's having just a totally terrible series, just the worst time. And mm-hmm. uh Kershaw could make work of him, or maybe they'll actually go to someone else in the bullpen. But then that soto home run happens and you and you realize then, in that moment, that you believe that even though the Nationals bullpen is terrible that you think that they are going to maybe uh, win this win this yeah. baseball game. That was the moment where I thought, oh, so the Nationals are gonna uh, go, go play in the championship series. That was the <laughs> moment because you just uh, you just feel that that is the way that petty uh, petty <laughs> baseball gods obsessed with their own picky and concerns are gonna roll this one. That's where you yeah. start to think it's true.
1: Yeah, and Kershaw had looked so pumped and so excited when he got the out when he got eaten out to end that inning and then the contrast between how he looked in the next inning where he was just the picture of deflation I mean I think TBS went about 50 50 for the next inning between like actual shots of the game and shots of sad Kershaw oh yes (laughs) I
0: I have feedback on that (laughs) broadcast because here's the thing about it one time is enough times one time (laughs) looking
1: it's enough for us to get the screenshots right the gifs make it a meme
0: (laughs) we know we know we know Mm -hmm. where he's at that is a there there is so little about being a major leaguer let alone a major leaguer of Clayton Kershaw's caliber whatever he is right this minute of his caliber there is so little about him and us that is the same except for this this (laughs) is the same this is how this looks. We know that feeling. We've all had that. I mean, not exactly that, but we can look at that and say, yeah, man, I know. And so for them to continue to go back to him and then you start to wonder, is this the way he wants to be? Does he want to be by himself? Is this a moment that has to be self-contained because having to engage with other human beings will either result in him crying, which he will feel Uh, embarrassed about, or yelling, which he will also feel embarrassed about because it's just not a moment where you are at your best. Or are his teammates horrible? You know, <laughs> now you're starting to wonder what kind of people the rest of the Dodgers are. And I, I tend to think that they probably knew that he just needed a minute by himself. But you, mm-hmm. you're wondering if all of these guys who you've come to like are monsters.
2: <laughs> yeah. It was
0: just so many times. It was ten more times than they needed to do. I didn't count how many times they actually did it, but I'm confident it was at least 10 more than they needed to.
1: Yeah. And I don't know whether... Baseball's a, a zero-sum game in a lot of ways. One team allows a run and the other team scores a run. I don't know whether suffering is also zero-sum so that the the suffering of Clayton Kershaw is equal to the elation of Juan Soto, let's say. I don't know if it cancels out in a cosmic sense. I'm, I'm happy that Juan Soto was happy and I'm happy that... He's having all these clutch hits in the playoffs and people are getting introduced to Juan Soto on a national scale. That is wonderful. I'm also just sorry it had to come at the expense of Clayton Kershaw. And I think we all root for Clayton Kershaw in a way, not that we're rooting for the Dodgers, really, but we're rooting for him not to... Keep having this football pulled away, or to pull it away from himself, or however it's happening. And I think initially it was because we were all very frustrated about what we called the Kershaw narrative. And the way that that was blown out of proportion and the way that he acquired this reputation perhaps before he deserved it. And people would not account for the fact that his bullpen kept letting him down and Pedro Baez gave up runs every time he stranded a base runner, or he kept getting put in positions where he was sort of set up to fail, which keeps kind of happening, or, you know, various other factors that could sort of explain his performance in the postseason. And of course, we remember the bad days, but he's had many really fantastic days too, which is hard to square with the idea that he is unable to perform in the postseason because if he were, then wouldn't he always be? Why would it only apply so selectively? I don't know. But when I've been saying the Kershaw narrative today, I don't really mean it in that dismissive sense because it's a legitimate thing to talk about at yeah. this point like it's not a small sample it, it is small sample compared to his entire regular season career but it's a thing that has happened and there is a big gap between how he has performed in the playoffs and how he has performed during the regular season especially in terms of runs allowed which matters in the yeah. playoffs so it's not at all like we shouldn't even be dignifying this discussion with our own discussion. Like, no, it's it's a thing. And right. maybe this was the time when I sort of accepted that this is a thing. This is always going to be a thing. Doesn't necessarily mean that there is anything inherent about him that makes him less able to perform in the postseason. but this is just going to be a stain on his permanent record. Like it's not going to keep him out of the hall of fame or anything. It's not going to affect how great I think he was at his peak, but it is a thing that's going to come up whenever you talk about Clayton Kershaw in the future. Assuming of course that the Dodgers don't make the playoffs for the next seven years in a row, which is entirely possible and that he has some big moment and wins a world series and kind of puts it all to rest at some point. But as of now, it's just one of the things that comes to mind when you think about Clayton Kershaw, which is unfortunate.
0: I think that he, uh, I don't know that I, I don't know how much I believe what I'm about to say. <laughs> always a good, okay. always a good story. <laughs> I, I, I might need to, to talk through it. I think that his, I think that he demonstrates that it is possible to feel worse than it is possible to feel happy. It is it is possible mm-hmm. to feel more worse, that's great writing, <laughs> editor Meg, than it is to feel very happy because I remember one of the last times that I felt very nervous for a starter coming into relief was in that 2016 yeah. DS against the Nationals when you know Jansen had walked two. Right, he walked Bryce Harper. He walked Jason Worth. Remember when Jason Worth played baseball? As an aside, <laughs> so like he walked Jason Worth and outruns Kershaw, and we all had a moment of <laughs> panic and fear on behalf of a person we do not know. And then he got Daniel Murphy to pop out, and he just mowed down poor (laughs) Wilmer Defoe. And you thought, this is fantastic. It has shifted, right? The narrative will be no more because he did this great thing. And I was very, very happy. Right. And I was less happy than how sad I felt yesterday (laughs) when he gave up that second home run to Juan Soto.
1: Yeah, on a not yeah.
0: good on the not good pitch it wasn't it wasn't like that first one mm-hmm. which wasn't a bad pitch it was a not good pitch, and I just I made a noise I was in public I was in a I was in a, <laughs> a local uh, pizza place that has a bar and I'm sitting there with my friends watching this and I made a sound in public that I didn't even feel embarrassed by because the entire bar some of whom were baseball fans but many of whom were just there enjoying a pizza pie <laughs> all cringed. And and felt sad and looked up at the TV and saw TBS cut to him for the 19,000th time. And it was just, it just made you, I wanted to cry. I wanted to cry. I felt mm-hmm. guilty that I couldn't cry because I felt so sad that I thought I should be able to cry and was not able to produce tears, but wanted to because it I think it's possible to just be broken by something like that and I'm sure Clayton Kershaw will rally and time will pass and he will will go into next season and maybe he'll have a chip on his shoulder and it'll all work out but man like people should leave him alone for a little while he should go wander in the woods (laughs) because it's just Devastating. Gosh, I feel we're being so mean to strangers <laughs> and recent acquaintances on this podcast today.
1: Yes. Well, uh, yeah, I think Sam wrote something to that effect in The Only Rules It Has to Work, something about how losing is worse than Winning is good. good. I'm not phrasing that well either. It's kind of a it's hard a har- thing to, to yeah. phrase in words out loud. But yes, losing is 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 bad to a greater degree than winning is good. I guess, and that seemed to be the case there. And it was sad to see just the acceptance for him after the game in some Ugh. of the quotes. Where, I mean, not that he's ever someone who just, like, makes excuses or says, like, Trevor Bauer will sometimes after a bad outing that he made good pitches and he just got unlucky or whatever, which is true at times. But most players don't say that. And I don't think Kershaw would say that. And Kershaw said that, you know, like, whatever people say about his performance in the postseason is true. Like, yeah. he, he didn't try to hide from it at all, which is just really sort of sad like you have to wonder whether it is in his head at this point even if it wasn't before so I, I hate to have that happen to one of the best and you know easiest to root for players yeah. of this generation it's a, a big bummer aside from any team rooting interest just on a personal level yeah so dave roberts <laughs>
2: before
0: we get to that can i yeah. can i uh can i ask you about a thing that does not matter at all to just uh, mm-hmm. like give us a little we're gonna allow ourselves a little emotional breathing room because we're devastated okay. on behalf okay. of a stranger yeah. did you notice <laughs> I sometimes worry I watch baseball in a really weird way. Um, did you notice how Dave Roberts had one of the like silicon uh, wedding rings and it was Dodger blue?
1: I did not notice that, no.
0: Okay, so like uh, athletes wear these, uh, they wear these silicone wedding rings. And I, as an aside, I understand when athletes do it, although less often with baseball players, it's fine. Because they don't want to get stuff caught and tangled, right? Like it Mm -hmm. gives, and if it breaks, it doesn't matter because it's just a piece of silicone. Like it doesn't, or whatever. I don't understand when managers do this because, like, what are you worried about, Dave? You're in the dugout the whole time. You're not right. going to, unless you're planning to wrestle, like, you're you're going to do fine. But I find it very strange that these guys change their wedding rings out to, to sort of match, right, to be in team colors because you're not married to the Dodgers. You're married <laughs> to your wife.
1: Right. Yeah. If I were I wonder whether his wife has to get a matching one?
0: <laughs> I don't. Yeah, does she swap out for cuz I mean like he doesn't really have a reason to have, you know, a a sporting approved wedding ring, but she would have even less cause because she's right. not there at all. I mean, she's mm-hmm. probably in the ballpark, but she's not in the dugout anyhow. Mm-hmm. I I would read a long form piece interviewing the wives of athletes on their <laughs> feelings about the uh seeming confusion of 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 pledges and uh, and loyalties involved with switching out the wedding rings. That yeah. is a thoroughly unimportant observation. But I now, like that
1: topic too. Yeah, yeah assigned now, to someone yeah, out there.
0: Get, get on it. But now, now we both feel a little less sad, so we can we can now soldier <laughs> forth into the remaining sadness.
1: <sighs> All right, here we go. Here so, we go. Plunging into the depths of <laughs> Dave Roberts's decision making in this game. Okay, so he. Gets out of the eighth because he brings in Kenta Maeda belatedly. Yes. And Kenta Maeda strikes out everyone, yes. which, of course, makes you imagine an alternative history where you bring in Kenta Maeda from the start. Yep. And it's just a routine inning. But hey, it would not necessarily have happened that way facing no. different batters, but it probably would have, or at <laughs> least the, the odds would have been better. Anyway, after that ninth inning, Dave Roberts goes to Joe Kelly and Dodgers Twitter is gnashing its teeth and wailing. And to be fair to Dave Roberts, Joe Kelly has been quite good For the past few months, he was Extremely not good in his previous Outing in this series He gave up a couple runs on a few walks And a hit and did not record Any outs, that is not good But he had been really Quite excellent, maybe even the Dodgers Most reliable reliever from like June Through September, so It's not like this was out of nowhere If you look at his full season stats They look considerably worse because he Started the season a lot worse And Joe Kelly has had kind of This confounding mercurial career But he was a playoff hero Last year for the Red Sox So it wasn't the worst decision Except that maybe you have Other people there And Maeda was pinch hit for I don't know if there would have been a, a better double switch to do so that they could have kept Maeda in longer. But assuming that you have to pull Maeda, it, it's it's not indefensible to bring in Kelly to start that inning because Kenley Jensen, like Kershaw, is not quite what he was. Like They're right. both coming off their worst seasons. They've both lost velocity. They've both become more dependent on off-speed stuff. But he's still a good pitcher, and you still had other guys. You still had Dustin May. You still had Kolarik, etc. But that inning worked out great, and Joe Kelly yep. gets through with 10 pitches, and he looks good and maybe looked too good because he looked so good that he convinced Dave Roberts to bring him back out for the 10th. And Joe Kelly is not a guy who gets asked to go multiple innings very often. He had not pitched more than an inning, I believe, since August. And when he has gone longer and thrown more pitches this year, it has not turned out well for him. And it definitely did not turn out well here. And I think bringing him back out for the second inning was bad enough. Sticking with him in the second inning for as long as he did was worse.
0: This is the part of the decision-making where you really, I mean, I agree the decision to bring him back out on its own seemed very questionable. Mm -hmm. I have not listened to Dave Roberts post game, so he may have addressed this. I, I wonder if part of the thinking here on his part was, well, we don't know how long this is going to go, and he's been good, Mm -hmm. so maybe we need to save guys for later.
1: Yes. I I did scour his (laughs) transcript from the press conference, and he did intimate that that was part of it. Like he said, we don't have that many guys lined up behind Kenley which is kind of that classic managerial <sighs> mistake where it's like worrying about a crisis that has not occurred yet when there is a crisis At hand. occurring currently yes <laughs> and the scenario that you're worried about will never occur if you don't get out of this current jam yes so often that's like the saving someone for a save situation right. uh, canard and and here it was i guess worrying about going to many extra innings. Although, again, you've got friend of the show, Ross Stripling, yeah. out there. You, you've you got some other guys who can give you some length. You've got Dustin May. So I don't know that that was such an acute concern, really. Right. So also in his press conference, Robert said basically that he went by the eye test and he left Kelly in because Kelly had looked so good in that first inning, which—
0: but- But Kent Maeda looked so good in his earlier inning. He didn't get another go around, and he is a starter.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I don't know why I'm yelling
0: at you. You didn't do it, Ben. It wasn't your fault at all.
1: No, I'm I'm not uh, defending Dave here, although I, I have in the past, and even now I'm abandoning him, so I don't know if anyone's really on his side. Yeah. I mean, Maeda's lineup spot came up, so he pinch hit for him. And, again, I don't know because he did a double switch when he right, brought in Kershaw. True. And I don't know if he could have double switched a little later so that he could have kept – I'd have to think about how yeah, that would have worked. That's, but that's fair. But, but regardless, I, I yeah. just – I don't think – I mean, I don't know. Kelly for a second inning there was like – I don't know where that ranked in, in Dave Roberts' options at that point. But it was not number one, let's say. <laughs> so Sure. That was that was not good. And then it started off not well and it just kept going and going.
0: Right. This is the thing. So he he brings him back and maybe he thinks in his head, uh, you know, Joe's
1: look good and mm-hmm. he'll do great. Yeah. Go and batter then, by batter, maybe.
0: Yeah. And then Joe Kelly walks out of meeting and yes. at some point you gotta be like, Oh. Ro-ro. And <laughs> yeah. then and then he gives up a ground rule double to Anthony Rondone. And you're like, row, 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 row. <laughs> right? Like at, the thing about it is that whatever, whoever is available later in a theoretical championship series, that's future Dave's problem. Present Dave's mm-hmm. problem is getting there. And yeah. so at that point, you're like, okay, so Juan Soto's up. Guess what he does well? Hit baseballs. Mm-hmm. I should maybe potentially not let him face him. And 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 Dave clearly thought so because he then intentionally walked him.
1: Yep, <laughs>
0: and then with the bases juiced, was like this will go fine. <laughs> yep. <laughs> now, in his defense, Howie Kendrick had been had been not good, mm-hmm. but also the bases are loaded. It's yep. extra innings, and it's an elimination game. Yeah, and all he, all he all he has to do is control pitcher
1: no, on the mound. <laughs> he's
0: not. So set aside, even if you're able to set aside the potential risk of a run scoring just on a wild pitch or a pass ball, all Howie has to do is send the ball to the outfield. That's mm-hmm. it. And they're going to score a run. And Howie said, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to send that ball to the outfield. Yeah, That's not what Howie Kendrick sounds like, but that's sort of my generic <laughs> baseball player voice. Mm-hmm. This was an instance where the amount of joy I felt outweighed the sadness I felt, unlike the earlier thing. Because Howie Kendrick has had a rough series. The fielding Mm -hmm. has been quite poor. Uh, Even just away from the errors, it's been bad. And then he had that totally inexcusable two plan. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's just, he's been something of a liability.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, very much so. Except
0: when it mattered the most.
1: Yep. So instead of putting soto on, you could have brought in Cleric again. Yes. To face him because that was his job and he did it as well as you could do it the first time he was asked to do it, the first three times he was asked to do it. And
0: you didn't use you didn't use him earlier.
1: Right. And famously. famously. And Roberts was quoted as saying like earlier in the week, like, basically, yeah, this is what we're gonna use Cleric for, like, it's great to have him for this matchup. It it was like he was the designated Juan Soto specialist, and he had done as well as you can do in that job, and he didn't get a chance here. And so Roberts said that he wanted to get a ground ball. He he wanted to set up the double play, I guess, and keep Kelly in because Kelly gets a lot of ground balls, which is true. Although Cleric gets even more ground balls. Yes. And so if he had faced Soto, then he could have still gotten a double play and he wouldn't have had the bases loaded and having to worry about a wild Joe Kelly on the mound. So, yeah, just just not good. Even if you're going to put Soto on. Right. I still don't think you should stay with Kelly, even no. though he is a ground ball guy, and you want a ground ball. It's it's still like he's still also Joe Kelly, and you don't want him to walk a guy, and you don't want him to give up a dinger. Granted, Kenley Jansen is is dinger prone these days too, but still, I, I just I don't see how you can let Kelly stay in there after he's worked himself into this jam in his second inning of work, right. which is not something he normally does, and so then you get the grand slam oh. and why not leave him in for a couple more batters yeah
0: <laughs> yeah well and the, and the nice thing is well it's not nice but <laughs> you know there is something satisfying i suppose i wonder well this is here it's dylan cut out all my hemming and hawing or <laughs> i don't know i don't know up is down I don't know. As we as we sit here and think about like the best and worst ways to be sad, yeah, because this is really the theme of this frequent episode. topic
1: of discussion. On is it podcast. better
0: to have a former Dodger hit that grand slam, or is it way worse?
1: Mm. Oh, yeah, good question. I can't I, it's decide. Worse, right? Yeah, because it's I think like then it's worse. the one the guy who got away, or not that they've like missed him terribly. No. Really, but but. I don't know. Unless you like formed a very close attachment to that player, like if he's a player who was with your franchise for a really long time and you loved him, and then maybe the team decided not to resign him or something, and then he has this big moment, you might feel happy for him. And if it has to be someone killing your team, at least it's this guy you like. But I don't think Howie Kendrick has that status. No, <laughs> among cer- Dodgers fans certainly
0: so. not among Dodgers fans. Yeah. <sighs> I can't, I just can't. (laughs) I still am in awe of it happening.
1: I know. It was, it really was nightmarish, just like this slow motion train wreck that you can see developing. And then, right, Kelly stays in for a couple more batters and then Jensen comes in and gets back-to-back infield pop-ups just like Maeda had come in and gotten mm-hmm. three consecutive strikeouts. So it was like, hey, here's what you were missing. Yep. <laughs> or at yep. least that's that's the way that you inevitably think about it. And that was that. So, I, I mean, that cemented the Kershaw thing in a way. I, I don't know that it would have been meaningfully better if Kershaw had blown the lead but then the Dodgers had come back like it he still would have been the goat even though it wasn't as catastrophic and he would have had a chance to redeem himself in the NLCS but either way it it just would have cemented the idea that he can't pitch in the postseason so uh, it's just it really was kind of incredible to watch and and I don't want to put it all on Dave Roberts because he wasn't the one throwing the pitches and he was not Corey Seager and AJ Pollock going three for 33 with a gazillion strikeouts or whatever they were. So if some of the Dodgers players had played better, we would not be talking about Dave Roberts as much. They wouldn't Mm -hmm. have even been in that situation. Generally, we dwell on managers moves too much and sometimes the right ones backfire and the wrong ones work out. But when it happens this way, like you can only be so upset with someone who just throws a bad pitch because he didn't decide to throw a bad pitch. Right. It's hard to throw a pitch exactly the way you want it. It's hard to hit a ball. You can only get so upset at someone who just is trying their best and is not performing because baseball is really hard. Yeah. Whereas with a manager, it's just – unforced error. It's like you had time to think about this. This was a decision that you consciously made. Clayton Kershaw did not decide, I'm going to give up some dingers now. But Dave Roberts decided, I'm going to put Clayton Kershaw into this game, and I'm going to put Joe Kelly into this game, and I'm going to leave Joe Kelly into this game. He made a whole sequence of suboptimal decisions that could well have worked out, but did not. And because they did not, this is now going to stick to him too. And yeah. as Joe Sheehan pointed out in his piece, we think of how Roberts as a player for his Five minutes of postseason heroics, and now maybe we think of Dave Roberts, the manager, for his, I guess it was more than five minutes of making bad decisions in the playoffs, but I've defended Roberts in the past because he's kind of come under fire every postseason for something or other, as most managers do if you play long enough to get to the World Series, but... I just – I couldn't even really twist myself into knots and put myself in his place and come up with a great rationale for why he did the things he did.
0: Yeah, and I I think, you know, whenever a manager makes decisions that are questionable, he tends to obscure the questionable or at least – if not questionable sort of not inquiry proof decisions mm-hmm. of of his opposing manager i mean it didn't end up mattering and there's a logic to it that i understand given the state of their bullpen but you know like steven strasberg arguably was left in too long perhaps mm-hmm. especially given the at bat that he ended up having where he yep. you know fouled out uh, on a bunt so there are, there are always decisions within the course of a game where they could potentially go a couple different ways and you you know you end up judging a lot on results and sometimes we take a moment to remember you know the bad process good result decisions but those tend to fade
1: mm-hmm.
0: even in the most like picky observer's minds but i think you're right that some of these some of these end up sticking and i think that the dodgers are likely going to be in a position to you know, win the West again next year, and this could mm-hmm. all end up not mattering if they some if they find their way to a World Series win soon. And and Roberts at the the helm, but you know, there's already been whispering that his chair is wobbly, mm-hmm. and I don't know if he'll be around to sort of get another shot to to switch this up and try to um, redeem his own narrative. Yeah, and I think you're right that some sometimes. Tough decisions go the wrong way, but you understand the logic. But some of these were, they were questionable in a way that I think they are, you know, folks are right to criticize. So it's a bummer because I've I've been a Roberts defender in the past too, but these ones are harder to
1: square. Right. And we're not the types to be out here calling for firings based on single tactical decisions. Although this was more than a single tactical decision, but- but usually that's only a part of the manager's job And a big part of the manager's job Is to just keep control of the clubhouse And keep yeah. everyone relatively happy And make sure the ship is sailing smoothly And just get to this point And I guess you could say that the Dodgers were so good this year That they could have gotten to this point under virtually any manager But you could also say, I guess, that he's been the manager there for four years He's won the division four times There hasn't been a a whole lot of drama and discord in that time. And even though he has been criticized every postseason for various moves with varying degrees of legitimacy, the Dodgers front office has always seemed to to back him fully because even last year in the World Series when he was getting booed, the Dodgers responded to that by extending him for four years. <laughs> so right. clearly they had no misgivings at that point. And this season was probably the best season in franchise history, at least regular season wise. So... I don't know. Do you go from this is a great season from a guy who we were just very comfortable extending through 2022 to, oh, this guy's got to go based on two or three innings here of questionable decision making. On the one hand, like the bulk of his work is really good. On the other hand, this is a team that keeps winning the division every year, and now they really want to get over the hump. And so if you can't have confidence that your manager is not going to throw a wrench into things when it comes to that moment, and when probably the best team that the Dodgers have assembled now have had the earliest exit— then that does put the pressure on. So I I don't know whether Roberts will have his squid fried and be the, what is it, ninth manager let go because Gabe Kapler was let go today too. So it's the the body count is getting high these days. So I don't know what will happen there. But if they were to do it, I would not have like a really – ringing defense because this game was really that perplexing. But modern managing is such a collaborative exercise that I think it really comes down to whether he deviated from the script that he had discussed with the front office beforehand and whether there was something that he knew and they knew that we did not know. That's probably what matters more than public opinion. But, you know, he said after the game, I feel that my job is to put guys in the best position to have success. So judging him by his own description of the job, I don't think he really lived up to it in that instance
0: i still can't believe it (laughs) i still can't believe it when howie kendrick came to the plate in the 10th i turned to brendan and we had another buddy there our friend andrew and i said what if he hits a what if he hits a grand slam though and i asked it in the way that mortals ask questions in front of the gods before they're like we're about to tell you yeah (laughs) <laughs> but I still can't quite believe that he did it. I can't believe that that ball got out, and Will Smith's, you know, very well hit ball the inning yes. prior didn't result in a walk off.
1: Mm-hmm. You
0: know that that was. I thought that I thought that ball was gone, and that the game was done, and yep. uh, and it wasn't.
1: Yep, <laughs> yep. <sighs> I don't know. I, I guess we've gotten it all out here i don't know i feel drained i'm not sure <laughs> if i have anything else left to say about i mean game, i'm but. i'm
0: very happy for nationals fans and yes, for absolutely. the nationals like yeah we will have some more discussion of bad playoff streaks and droughts later uh in this episode when we talk to sarah but it's um it's quite the monkey to have on your back mm-hmm. you just feel like uh everything you're being judged by a totally different set of criteria than your compatriots, and granted, you know, every team wants to. Well, most teams want to make the postseason <laughs> in any given season, right? And every every baseball player wants to win a World Series, and that is the that's the whole thing of it. That's why we're here. Um, mm-hmm. But when you have these long droughts, and everyone, you know, it's the first sentence in in every paragraph. You know, it's the lead every time. You're being judged by criteria that is similar but slightly different in a very important way than mm-hmm. the rest of the the folks doing what you're doing at work and so to be able to press through that and and move on from it and do something different is mm-hmm. wonderful i mean like the the shot of those Nationals fans who went to the ballpark and watched on the big screen at, at, in D.C. when it's cold and it's late and you've had years and years of t- telling you that, nope, the, the baseball gods are going with someone else tonight because they always do. Like Mm -hmm. that is a that's tremendous. I still don't think it's as tremendous as Clayton Kershaw was sad, but it is still tremendous. And it's a wonderful thing that they get to and now they get to, you know, strike out and form a and form a new narrative. Maybe maybe this team will be the one that gets mowed down by by the Astros in the World (laughs) Series. You know, by the time this comes out, I might that might be a very silly sentence. Could be true. It seems Mm -hmm. unlikely, but it could be true. This outcome seemed unlikely. What do we know? We know nothing.
1: Right. Yeah, I don't mean to neglect the Nationals or to fixate more on how the game was lost than how it was won, but we will be talking about the Nationals for the next week. Exactly. (laughs) We'll get other opportunities (laughs) to,
0: to remark on them. Um, exactly, but it is it is a cool thing that they get to do that, and we have learned a lot about Sean Doolittle's vertical jump. Yes, um, which is yeah, a lot
1: of great gifts and, and yeah. the Scherzer sprinting from the oh bullpen. My at the end. that was a good one.
0: Yeah, I think he could have. I, I think he could have uh, qualified as a, a dangerous moving vehicle. He was just sprinting <laughs> out of there. I'm sorry. Yeah. I wonder for how him. many
1: innings it would have had to go before he would have just sprinted yeah. out there middle I'm of the game doing and just it. forced Martinez to make a <laughs> pitching change
0: <laughs> oh lord I guess All we'll right. never find out much to much to nationals fans delight
1: so there was another <laughs> <laughs> national league division series game we're not going to spend as much time no. on this one but But we have to talk about it a bit. So, this game, a friend of the show, Dan Hirsch, I think, found that this was like objectively, statistically, like the least competitive, entertaining playoff game ever, just in terms of like total change in win expectancy, because this thing was over in mere minutes. Like, I was finishing up a piece or editing something and I was thinking oh I'll I'll just I'll miss the first few batters or something and then I'll I'll see the rest and by the time I got to the TV it was I don't even know what the score was but it was out of hand already so I'll just read out the the sequence of events yeah. here <laughs> so all right here we go top of the first Dexter Fowler leads off we go walk sacrifice bunt which is hilarious (laughs) given (laughs) what what came next they were playing for one run in the first inning with no outs next single single fielding error walk double intentional walk walk double double and the double was colton wong who was the one who laid down the sacrifice bunt so between Colton Wong's sacrifice bunt and Colton Wong's double. No one was retired. <laughs> it was the entire lineup reach base. and
0: Including the
2: pitcher.
1: <laughs> including the pitcher. Walking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the disparity between the first Fulton start and this Fulton start, I think it was like... A Game score swing from like 76 or 78 to 16 I think which Has to be among the biggest In back-to-back starts I would think We know nothing about baseball Obviously (laughs) no one Expected him to be quite so dominant As he was in his first start and then This was just an utter disaster And even after Fulty was Out of the game it got worse And it kept getting worse and it never really Got better
0: (laughs) It is uh... So many things happened that, on their own, you would sit back and say, "I can't believe that that just happened." Yeah. Right. And then they all happened together. The the I would put the sacrifice in that list. I would put the the opposing pitcher not only having an, a a plate appearance in that inning, but walking before he had ever thrown a pitch at all. Yep. That's on that list. The whole rigmarole on the Marcelo Zuna drops, third strike, wild pitch, which scored Colton Wong.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Where where McCann, who retired after this game,
1: yes. not because
0: of this game, he is,
1: although, but the timing, it might
0: not have hurt, yeah. uh, who was not only not able to corral it, but then fell down. Yep. He fell down, and it that hurt your heart. You look at the you look at the win expectancy graph on fan graphs. Uh, look at that chart and uh, it is very rare to see a chart where the opposing team reaches basically zero after the first inning. the mm-hmm. only the only thing <laughs> because it was one of the bigger swings like the that that Edmund double is on here. But then after that, it's just no plays. No plays yeah. are noted because none of them mattered. <laughs> right. <laughs> there were people probably still parking. They yeah. didn't see any of this sure. game. They walked into the ballpark and they they probably thought, excuse me,
1: Yep. what's turn going around. on here? Go right back to the car.
0: <laughs> going to turn around, just get on out of here? Mm-hmm. I suppose we have to talk The the... It is a testament to how strange a decision this ended up being that it quickly became the thing that people talked about the rest of the game, rather than that uh, ten-run first inning. But I suppose we need to we we definitely need to talk about the decision to have Jack Flaherty not only pitch yes. uh, at all, which I guess was a topic of conversation, although one that did not merit quite as much consideration as the decision to have him throw. What was it, a hundred and fourteen? No, not fourteen. That would be one hundred and
1: four, I think it was six innings, right? Yeah, I should yeah. stop.
0: I shouldn't I shouldn't charge him for for <laughs> more wildness.
1: Yeah, so well these days everyone throws one hundred fourteen. He threw one seventeen last time out, but yeah, yeah. one hundred four I think it was. That's more reasonable. And he had to like he was in the game, so he had to face someone that's a a rule that you have to face one batter right but you could have pulled him after that. You could have pulled him after an inning. You could have pulled him after a couple innings. Treated it basically like a bullpen day. Yep. And we were G-chatting at the time. Yep. And we both thought maybe three innings would be appropriate yeah. if they were fairly easy innings. And the thing is, so game one is Friday. So you couldn't have brought him back for Friday's start unless you really did remove him immediately. Like, right. you know, he faced one guy because this was Wednesday. So... That's obviously extremely short rest. And and you have a guy go through his routine and he warms right. up and you maybe don't want to totally disrupt his schedule. On the other hand, maybe you do want to set him up to pitch as much as possible in that next series because he is your best pitcher and he's been on quite a roll. And... Beyond that, so he's scheduled for, what, game three now, I guess? And it it would have been pretty easy to slot him in for game two, at least. And even beyond that, even if you didn't really want to bump him up a day or a game, I think you still have to be conscious of just his workload because – He's a young pitcher. He's passed his career high in innings for a a single season by a considerable amount. He's been worked hard in September and October. He's been pitching a lot of high-pressure, must-win games. Like, Why not? Give him a little break and hope that it means he has a little left in the tank because you're hoping that he's going to make, what, four more starts at least if if all goes well or, you know, roughly that and maybe come out of the bullpen too. So given all of that, I would think you would just want to go a little easy on him regardless of the schedule and just hopefully save some of those bullets. But that was not what happened. He just kept going and going. The Energizer Flaherty.
0: And... I just don't – the part of this that I find so strange is that – and, you know, in our preview of the championship series, Dan Zimborski noted this, and many people noted it at the time, so this is not an original thought, but why do you have, you know, Genesis Cabrera and, you know, Ponce de Leon, why do you have those guys on the roster if not for – situations like this, you're generally bringing them in in much sadder circumstances, right? They're the guys that are there to eat up some innings when a game has gotten away from you and you want to you know, preserve the rest of your bullpen and starting rotation for another day when you might win. But that's why they're there. Daniel Ponce de Leon, which remains just an 80-grade name, (laughs) that's why he's on the roster. That's why Cabrera's on the roster. And then he ended up pitching anyhow because somebody Mm -hmm. did have to pitch that ninth inning. So I just – it was a real – Head scratcher. After that initial couple of of innings, I guess you do reach a point at which if he's thrown sixty pitches, he's not good for a a game to start anyhow. Mm -hmm. So then you just let him go. But you can pull him at any point before that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's the thing
0: about it. He he. You could just pull him. You could have Mm -hmm. him. You could have him face a couple guys. You know, get some work in. Treat it as a bullpen day, and then and then there he is, fresh and tall. He's very mm-hmm. tall.
1: Yeah, trying to look. I'm looking at Schilt's post game press conference, and doesn't seem like he was really grilled on this. I saw a tweet from Mark Saxon who said some in the St. Louis Cardinals front office contemplated the idea of pulling Jack Flaherty early to use him in Game 1 of the NLCS. I quickly put that to bed, saying, win the game, John Mazalek said. I think when you start getting cute and trying to manipulate things, it gets dangerous. And I do wonder, not that there isn't some real risk to disrupting a guy's routine, but I do wonder how much just risk aversion Plays into this, even though you know it's extraordinarily improbable that the worst could happen here. Uh, Like, this is, I I think people pointed out that the Cardinals scored as many runs in the first inning as Flaherty had allowed in the entire second half. Like, it doesn't, and I know the Cardinals have had some bullpen blow ups, but there just aren't comebacks of this magnitude. But if you're Schilt, if you're Moselac, Maybe there is just like this tiny voice in the back of your head that's being like, I would never live this down if we somehow blew this game. Or even if it got really close and people were scared, like it would look like the ultimate just celebrating before you reach the finish line, getting your comeuppance, like that would look terrible. And so maybe it's just the easier simpler decision to default to this guy's the starter so he's gonna start and we're just gonna treat this as if it's a normal game even though it obviously isn't
0: i understand that logic i still think that i well it's very easy for me to say that i would have been brave and strong and pulled him earlier because i'm never going to end up making that decision so i will admit that this is i'm a little bit i'm being a little bit silly and shirty when i say this but i understand that hesitation and think that you're you're right that likely they looked at this and they're like man we will never it's a it's a much smaller scale version of the you don't want to be the general manager who trades mike trout right because mm-hmm. it'll just be the first thing in your obit i mean maybe not this but is again smaller version so it's like yeah. paragraph five so yeah. i totally understand them saying look he's gotten warm he's gone through his pregame routine there is some amount of stability in that routine that is useful for guys even if we have a hard time saying exactly how much and exactly what but then they scored more runs (laughs) (laughs) but then the thing about it was they scored some more runs they scored three more runs and And then it was, you know, it's the third, they're up 13 to zero. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And you could say, look, this is your last, this is the last inning. You're gonna get three innings of work in, you're gonna go in and feel good. The odds that they come back down 13-0 are very small, it feels really different even though it is not appreciably different from a win expectancy perspective to be in the third, up 13, mm-hmm. than having just come off this wild first. <sighs> <laughs> so I, I think that we can look at it and say, yeah, like you have him go a little bit because he's already gotten warm. He's already done his pregame routine. But then at some point you have to say, all right, it's 13 runs. Even if yeah. we gave up seven runs, we'd still win.
1: <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah. I don't I'm know why I picked the... seven,
0: but I just, it felt like a number that, you know, that could happen for a team <laughs> right. that has Ronald Acuna yeah. among
1: others. Well, the transcript here so someone asks him if they thought about pulling in very early. He says, We thought about it. He says, That's a really good team over there. So you don't want to sit there and take it lightly. You want to make sure you bring it home. So, sort of what we were saying—hard to start managing for the next series before you win this one. But I understand the question, and we thought about it. And once we got to the sixth, it was clearly enough. <laughs> yes, I would say so. He says that uh, Jack, Jack—he typical Jack—he wanted that sixth inning. Someone else asks him, "Did you think about treating it like a bullpen session and completely pulling him?" And he says, no, no chance. You pull him after one or two and something crazy starts happening in your bullpen. No, it's not the play. I, he says, I did not think about that, always thinking, but did not think about after the first pulling him. That would have been pretty brazen, <laughs> which it would have, but sure. also justifiable. So,
0: But the reason that people don't start thinking about the next series in the series they're in, which as an aside, I do not think that we can take as a as a given because – I think that there is some of that when people make pitching decisions and some of the some weird managerial choices are them maybe future casting a little bit but I understand that idea, but mostly people don't think about winning anything other than the game that's in front of them because they're not often up 13 (laughs) runs after three. Right. (laughs) The thing about it is you had- Important distinction. Yeah, you were given this rare and beautiful gift. And because you didn't know what to do with it, now you're in a worse spot later and you could have had a, you had a gift and then, and then you- Put the gift on the ground and walked away from it. I won't say you stomped on it because that uh, ascribes a motivation to it that I don't think is here. But it's just like uh, you had this—you had this cool chance, and then you said, "Nah." Yep. I'm still very worked up. I'm glad we didn't record yesterday either. I would have been a mess. Yeah. This is me, me on. This is me on a day's rest.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> well what else i mean there was nothing else to talk about from a competitive standpoint in that game really one thing i enjoyed was seeing the players celebrate at the end because by that point the outcome had been determined for hours and yet they still had to go through the charade of being exhilarated when they won which maybe they were but i can't imagine it's quite the same as when the outcome's in doubt till the last minute so people sort of jogged out onto the field the cardinals came out they gathered around home plate and they didn't really do a dog pile but they were hopping, but almost out of obligation, like we have to hop but we're hopping half-heartedly. They couldn't really muster the sheer joy of winning when it comes down to the last minute. And then on the other side, usually you get the sad shots of the team that just lost, just staring out at the field. You didn't really get that with the Braves this time, because I guess they had had hours already by that point to contemplate their fates. There were some other things in and around the game that I guess we could touch on. Done. There was... Uh, Acuna getting I don't know Whether to say drilled or hit Drilled maybe ascribes Intent and I don't know whether to Ascribe intent or not but Before Flaherty finally left This game he did hit Ronald Acuna in the bottom of the fifth and He denied that it was intentional Although clearly it Sounds like there's no love lost there between Him and the Cardinals and Ronald Acuna Because he is talking about his Antics and him Taking exception to something that he shouldn't have taken exception to I don't know obviously it was a blowout it was a two-strike pitch people were using that as evidence that this was not intentional I don't know that it actually was (laughs) maybe you just wanted to make it look good if you wanted to make it look accidental and give yourself plausible deniability because you don't want to risk a suspension then maybe this is how you would go about it just a a parting gift for Ronald Acuna I, I don't really know but yeah the whole Acuna discourse in this series was somewhat tiresome.
0: Yeah. I just can't believe that he would have actually done it on purpose. Mm-hmm. You just don't want to mess around. Well, I was about to say, you just don't want to mess around with Flaherty's availability, but I don't know. Maybe <laughs> you do. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't know how to tell what was in Flaherty's heart at that point, yeah, but it revived what had started to become dormant, so we got another round of cunha controversy, and then of course, we had the chop, yeah. which was hanging over this game in some perhaps could interpret as positive progress ways, but also not <laughs> so. This was prompted by Cardinals pitcher Ryan Helsley, who is a member of the Cherokee Nation. And he spoke up and he said he thinks that the CHOP is disappointing and insensitive and disrespectful and a misrepresentation of the Cherokee people or Native Americans in general. And so the Braves, in response to this statement, essentially said all right, we won't tell people to do the chop while Ryan Helsley Ryan <sighs> is pitching, but yeah. only at that particular time. So, so they didn't distribute the foam tomahawks and they pledged not to play the music or use the graphics while Mr. Helsley is in the game. Quote, as stated earlier, we will continue to evaluate how we activate elements of our brand. <laughs> <Yikes>. <laughs> That's almost the word, most offensive part of this statement, yep. just the way that was phrased. As well as the overall in-game experience, we look forward to a continued dialogue with those in the Native American community after the postseason <sighs> concludes, which... If you want to be cynical, that is them saying we will not do it while Helsley is in the game, but we will certainly continue to do it at all other times when he is in the ballpark and we are acknowledging in a sense that it is offensive and everything he said, and yet we're going to keep doing it just like not when he's (laughs) right out there on the mound, which is like... Sort of just calling attention to him like I'm kind of glad he didn't pitch because yeah. I don't want to know what would have happened had he and what the response would have been in the ballpark. But it's just like either it's offensive and something you don't want to be associated with or it's not. Yep. It's it's not only offensive while Helsley is literally standing on the pitcher's mound. So the positive interpretation I guess would be that at least – It came up. At least they made some sort of concession. At least they said there will be continued discussion about this. Maybe it's a prelude to something else, and this is a tradition that goes back decades there, so okay, it didn't change overnight, but maybe it will in the way that... One team extends its its netting to the foul line, and you wonder why everyone didn't do that already. But then suddenly, everyone gets on board. Hopefully, that's the way that this plays out.
0: Yeah, I hope that's the way it plays out. But I think that we are right to 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 take a beat to acknowledge them, kind of goofing this because you're right. Like once you acknowledge that the chop is insulting and racist, you've acknowledged that, and it remains true whether A particular pitcher is pitching, or in the ballpark, or in the continental United States, right? You have (laughs) you have conceded this point, which people have been saying to the organization for a very long time. You know, Mm -hmm. not not an active player to my knowledge. So I, I I appreciate that there is a difference from the perspective of the organization on, you know, a person basically saying, "Hey, don't be racist to me toward me in my workplace." even mm-hmm. if it is not my home park. So I appreciate that there is maybe to their mind a, a distinction to draw there, but once you have acknowledged that this is offensive, it remains offensive regardless of where, how physically proximate to the mound one guy is or not. They were down 12 runs and they played the stinking chop. Yep. <laughs> they did it. They were yes. losing badly. They were about to be done for the season and they still played it and i understand that fans are going to behave the way that fans do and you can try to to mitigate that but you will likely not be able to control fully the behavior of fans I mean there were still people with the foam chops which as an aside I'm going to phrase this in a way that is a little bit yucky but like it there they should stop doing it but since they insist there is something satisfying about how flaccid those foam <laughs> chops look when they're being put to their trash purpose <laughs> yeah. so anyway that's a thing mm-hmm. you can decide if you want dylan to leave that in or not. but you know people brought them with them because they've been distributed before and you're sure. you're always going to have to negotiate that relationship with your fan base and i think doing that takes a steady hand because you don't want to inspire people to Behave worse in retaliation for being told what to do. And so I appreciate that that is tricky, but they have complete control over their music cues and the branding and the hashtag. Mm-hmm. They still do chop on. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, you sit there and you're like, how many individual people would it take telling you that this is offensive before you abandoned it wholesale? Because you're acknowledging it's a problem for this guy and that you're going to sustain a dialogue, but that dialogue hasn't borne anything prior to now. So, anyhow.
1: Right. <sighs> I will say I, I really, I respect Helsley yeah. for saying what he did because- Particularly as a rookie pitcher, a young, not established guy in the league, a lot of the times they would want to kind of keep their heads down yeah. and not make themselves the center of attention and not inflame the fan base of the team that you're about to play. And, you know, the whole like rookie should be seen and, and not heard kind of ethos that has been in, in baseball or a lot of professions for a long time. And he spoke up and I think... In speaking up, he kind of made it impossible to ignore this because you always heard from some people who would defend this that, oh, well, no actual Native Americans or people of Native American descent are upset about this. It's just, you know, the PC police and it's concern trolling. And his making this prominent statement, I think, made it impossible to pretend that that's the case. Not that he was the first, but – The fact that he's a a baseball player and he was playing in this series just drew a lot of attention to it. And I I guess, you know, one statement that he made produced a more meaningful effect than decades of activism and and protest. So that just really goes to show that, you know, sometimes it takes one person to stand up and say something to actually change something. (laughs) Not everything, but, but one little thing.
0: Well, and I I agree with you. I was I was relieved that he didn't pitch just because, you know, when people are upset and I don't say this to excuse bad behavior, but it just it seemed like he would have been put in a spot where he might have endured some some nastiness by Braves fans who were upset about the fact that they were losing. So I'm glad that he wasn't put in that spot and that he will then get, you know, further opportunities to pitch and participate in the postseason after this. So it's not like that had to be the the end of the road for him. But uh, yeah, it's, it's impressive. I can't imagine as a rookie, it's an easy thing to do, especially when you're going to be going on the road and facing a group of people who, even if they aren't Engaged in in this like super insulting and insensitive act are just not inclined to like you because you're an opposing pitcher, so yeah it was it was impressive and hopefully they will uh, abandon the brand language and just talk about this like people yeah. and can conf-
1: activate your brand in this way yeah like what don't a call it activating oh, your brand <laughs>
0: what a gross what a gross thing um so yeah i I'm I I hope that this will be the beginning of a productive dialogue and that the way that they decide to talk about it as an organization will very quickly catch up to our expectations, put it
1: that way. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And he did uh, quite a good job of articulating why he felt this way. Mm -hmm. Not that he was obligated to, but I think – in the interests of possibly persuading people, if anyone out there is actually persuadable about anything, he did kind of lay out why he thinks it's offensive and disrespectful, etc., instead of just saying that it was, which, again, he would have been perfectly entitled to just say, I feel this way, right. and that would be a good enough reason but the fact that he very clearly, in sort of a nuanced way, explained why, I feel like maybe that will change some minds or, or reach some people. I don't know. Maybe that's over optimistic, but <laughs> anyway. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one last thing I wanted to mention just to follow up. <laughs> To something Sam and I talked about on the last episode, which is the ball and whether it's juiced or not. I mentioned that Rob Arthur was doing some research on that subject. He has now done it, he has published it, and it shows fairly persuasively, I would say, that the ball is not behaving the way it did during the regular season, that there has been a sudden and somewhat dramatic change in the postseason. Even though it's a fairly small sample still, it's enough of a sample to say that it's very unlikely that this would have happened by chance. The drag, the air resistance on the ball, which Rob measures by looking essentially at the loss of speed between home plate and the pitcher's mound – is higher there's more drag more air resistance than there was in any equivalent point in the regular season it's like back to 2016 levels so far and the change from like the pre playoffs week to the playoffs week is also like three times bigger than any in season week to week change so something fishy going on here I emailed MLB about this. They sent me a statement while we were recording, and it's sort of a boilerplate thing that I will read out. It says the baseballs used in Major League Baseball are manufactured in batches balls that are used in the postseason are pulled from the same batches as balls used in the regular season. Regular season and postseason balls are manufactured with the same materials and under the same processes. The only difference is the postseason stamp that is placed on the ball, as has been previously acknowledged. However, the drag of the baseball can vary over different time periods. So nothing surprising there, except that this is, I think, yet another case of undermining consumer confidence Mm -hmm. when it comes to the baseball like to the extent that people are aware of this and reading Rob's article and listening to this podcast it's just hard to have much confidence that MLB knows what the heck is going on (laughs) with the baseball and why it's behaving the way it does and it's jarring to go from regular season to postseason and suddenly see this big jump in a way that quite possibly, is affecting the outcomes of games and series. I was expecting it to go in the other direction where we'd see some like fluky-looking homers and we'd think, oh, that was not really a legitimate way to win. Instead, it's sort of the opposite where... At least relative to what we have come to expect this year, we're seeing a bunch of balls hit that look like they should be gone and are not gone. And it's hard to say conclusively with any single batted ball that, oh, yes, that definitely would have been a homer or not. But you mentioned Will Smith's apparent homer off the bat. I mean, imagine if that had gone out that would have been the series right there and imagine if that just comes down to some completely random fluctuation in the baseball that no one knows or can currently control it's like it makes it all just seem sort of arbitrary to me even though both teams are presumably playing with the same ball though can you even count on that from from game to game and series to series so I, i just i don't know it's uh It's I'm still enjoying these games, obviously, but it's something that I can't help thinking every time I see a fly ball right now.
0: I think that this has this is a very good example of the biggest problem that their approach to talking about uh, that MLB's approach to talking about this stuff has posed, which is that because their answers have not felt credible till now. They don't have much of a leg like, to stand on that's going to be persuasive to people. And so I think regardless of what they say, absent, hey, we realize that we just don't seem to have as good a handle on this as we need to, given how instrumental to our entire sport this thing is, yep. <laughs> just like so important That Mm -hmm. we're going to launch an investigation and really get to the bottom of it. I think that that's probably the only answer that they could have given that would have been remotely satisfying to people. And because we are sort of conditioned at this point to be skeptical of their responses, given how they've addressed it in the past, I think they have they really need to sort this out because I think it does it does undermine the way that we experience the game it would be nice to feel like we could trust what we're seeing on mm-hmm. the field more than we all seem to right because right. the fact that there were fewer home runs was something that everyone noticed right away in mm-hmm. very few postseason games and immediately felt fishy and that's that's not good for the sport so
1: yeah right yeah and you Worry about it affecting certain teams more than others right. or in different ways, or if you construct your team in such a way that it excels with one type of ball. Uh, granted, like it's not like a team's going to go from terrible to great because of the ball, but it can affect teams and players disproportionately, so you don't really want that. Like we're playing under these conditions one season and then they're different the next or even from the regular season to the post-season. It's like we're deciding the champion based on conditions that are different from the regular season. They're always a little different, but right. like not, not this different, not different in this way. So it's just, it's kind of like... We talk about how when replay is available, it becomes untenable to not have replay review be part of the game. And maybe we're heading in that direction with robot umps where when we get these instant readouts on the accuracy of pitch calls, it then becomes untenable to have humans calling the balls while everyone can see that they're getting it wrong a lot of the time. Now it's kind of become that with the baseball itself where we can check from like week to week, oh, the ball is flying differently this week. And when you get these sudden spikes, you know, 10 years ago, there just would have been no way to confirm that or or a little more than 10 years ago. And so you would have written it off. And so – maybe it's always happened to a certain degree, but obviously not to these extremes. So I just, I think they have to figure out a way to get it under control. And I don't think it's a conspiracy. You, you can't rule it out. I just think that they don't really have a handle on yeah. what's happening here. And that's not encouraging either.
0: Yeah. I, I, we've talked about this before, but at various points, the commissioner has seemed to suggest as if it would make us all feel better that no, it's not that we have intentionally altered the how aerodynamic the ball is. It's just that we have very poor control over the manufacturing process of the most important piece of equipment on the field. And right. they're like, hey, but, but Rob, that doesn't make us feel better. Yes, <laughs> that that answer. <laughs> yeah uh, it does not fill me with confidence that what i am seeing is representative of the talent of the guys on the field or a step forward by hitters or a step back by pitchers it just feels like you're kind of goofing around in the dark and you know the whole point of buying the plant or this stuff was manufactured was that they were going to have better control and we so far have not seen that manifest in a way that feels Good. Right. That makes mm-hmm. us feel confident. And and as much as we are uh, data people and like to be able to say with certainty, like, yes, the ball is different. So much of this is just about how how we feel when we're watching the sport. And you want there mm-hmm. to be fewer times where you look up and say, huh, he hit right. a home run or what? That didn't go out. Right? Like, Mm -hmm. we would like to focus on how sad Clayton Kershaw is. That is what we need to be focused on today.
1: Exactly. And when Rob built a model to predict how many home runs there should have been. Based on regular season launch angles and exit velocities and the results of those, he found that there should have been like 50% more homers in the playoffs, which is a, a very large number. Obviously, Clayton Kershaw wishes that the ball were more teachers than it was, but there have been a bunch of balls that just anecdotally, it seemed this way to me. The data seems to back it up, so... We'll see what happens next and what ramifications this has. But yeah, just the latest chapter in juiced ball gate.
0: Yeah. Woof.
1: All right. We've talked about all the baseball. We've talked for a very long time. We will have to get to other news next time. ALDS game five and championship series previews and Gabe Kapler's firing. Can't fit it all into one episode. But we will be back in just a moment. With Sarah Ziegler to talk about the Twins and postseason suffering and the best and worst ways to lose. As promised, we are joined now by Sarah Ziegler, who's the sports editor for 538 and the host of Hot Take Town, and such a true Twins fan that she has a picture of TC Bear as her Twitter header. Sarah, welcome to the show. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I had forgotten that I had put that up there back in (laughs) April and, you know, it just stayed with me the whole season.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I guess that was an optimistic (laughs) stance that you took back in April. Well,
2: it is TC Bear sitting alone in some like upper deck. So, you know.
1: So I feel like since we asked you to come on the show, there's been so much other suffering from other fan bases that the twins pain is almost old news. We should be talking to a Dodgers fan now or a Braves fan maybe, but we should give due time to the twins suffering, which is extreme in its way. So. How did you have the fortune and or misfortune to become a Twins fan?
2: Well, I, um, so I grew up in South Dakota, which according to all Twins marketing is Twins territory. (laughs) So I grew up a Twins fan, have lived through the highs and the lows (laughs) this whole way.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And what has been sort of the the stages of grief for you over the past couple of days since the defeat? Has it worn off a bit? Is it still raw? Have you come to terms with the latest loss?
2: You know, since the beauty of the Divisional series is that you have three games. You know, it's not like the wild card game where it's just one and done. So I you know, was building to the understanding of what would happen, you know, after game one, they lose, it's unfortunate, but you think, well, they have a chance still, but you're starting to get used to the idea of maybe this isn't going to happen. And and so by the end of game three, it was like, yep, that's, that that feels right.
0: <laughs> I'm curious. So I, I, uh, I suffer a different kind of sad uh, fan affliction, in that I am still, as much as I am a fan of any team, a fan of the Seattle Mariners. So we, we will talk more about what we might prefer in terms of our various states of sports disappointment <laughs> a little later. But I'm curious, as, as someone who has, you know, embraced and loved a franchise that has this sorted postseason history, when you go into opening day, what? What are you thinking about on opening day? Is it are you uh, are you able to greet each season with sort of the same sense of optimism, or does the the lurking potential of another uh, postseason loss? Gosh, we're just being so terribly mean to you. I'm so sorry <laughs> to make you
2: articulate this,
0: but how does how does that impact how you feel at the beginning of each baseball season?
2: So I'm I'm a very lucky baseball fan because some of my earliest baseball memories were the twins winning two world series four years apart. So I had that from a very young age. So, you know, every season is still joy and optimism. And, you know, I don't, I remember that those feelings of, of hope more than like the despair (laughs) that comes at the end. (laughs) So I'm still very, very hopeful every season. And I still, you know, this season was, it was a great season far exceeded expectations. So for me, the ending doesn't so much define the season Mm. as it might for some people.
1: Yeah, I guess the order of operations is pretty important when it comes to defining your feelings about a team. Like, I guess fans of the Red Sox who grew up when they were cursed and losing all the time, I think a lot of them still haven't really shaken that feeling of impending doom, even though everything has gone right for them for now the past 15 years or so. It's just like they imprinted at a certain point on this is what it is to be a baseball fan, and they're just stuck with that for life. So I guess you kind of got the ingrained optimism before there was such a reason for pessimism so you're kind of inoculated against the losing a little bit
2: yeah i think that's right and even even within the past 20 years where we haven't won you know world series obviously we have until this recent really, really bad stretch, you know I went to a a playoff win in two thousand and two for the twins, so they're still you know right now we're in the midst of something terrible, but it hasn't been that way for that long. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm curious. I don't know if we want to delve into this now, and I hate to make people compare their pain as, <laughs> as if there's a, a right way or a wrong way to experience this stuff as a fan. Because obviously, even Dodgers fans, with their their amazing run in the last couple of years, are disappointed today after their loss yesterday. But I'm I'm curious if, and this may be hard to answer because this is the version of uh, of the Twins that you have known. But do you think that you would rather have had Maybe a less storied uh, recent playoff past, even one that has met with defeat, for the payoff of another win. Would you rather have long stretches where you're just out of it entirely and able to enjoy other teams' success or failure? How how would you rank your current <laughs> your current postseason experience versus the the alternatives? And and I will tell you that uh, long absences can be sad, but also nice in some ways, I suppose. <laughs>
2: I mean i'm not gonna lie my thought tuesday morning was okay so that's over thank god (laughs) because i was so nervous through through all of this that it was actually very it was a relief to be done and so i can definitely see that where if your team is out of it and again the twins have been out of it for many seasons last season in fact and so there is something that's you know the pressure is off and so it's a little bit easier to enjoy baseball as a concept instead of baseball as a fan but i would i i would rather risk the pain for the shot at glory you know i i think that um i want i want this team to do the best that it can all the time even if that means that it will inevitably lose to the Yankees as the end of its season, which is apparently the timeline we're living in right now. But you know, I'd rather, it didn't diminish for me the amazing run they had and the things that they did. They have a home run record right now that may live forever if the ball has suddenly changed again. So I'm cool with that. (laughs) That in and of itself is a great cosmic joke. So I, I enjoy that one. So yeah, I would always rather face that pain for a shot at at the world winning the world series and again because i know how exciting that was to have happened i feel like that's always that's always gonna live with me you know
1: yeah. Well, does it feel like the Yankees own you? Do you feel <laughs> like there is something, even though you know intellectually that there's nothing supernatural here going on, that these are different rosters and different regimes and there's no logical reason why there should be any carryover. Still, it's gotten to the point where, I mean, even just statistically, it's it's very unlikely that this degree of ownership would have occurred over this period of time. But Do you feel that? Like, if we have the same matchup next year, would you feel worse going into a series against the Yankees than you would against an equally talented team that is not the Yankees?
2: Oh, no, 100%. I would have much (laughs) rather faced the Astros this year. (laughs) Much (laughs) rather. You know, I— they. I I think, you know, the players and, uh, and, you know, we have a new coach this year who has not been involved in any of the previous losses to the Yankees. Now he knows it. But they were all very, you know, no, this has nothing to do with the past teams. And like, I get that, but that's not really true. I mean, I think you can't help but have know that, especially because, you know, all of us in the media talk about it. I mean, you can't you can't ignore it. And fans obviously feel it. But also, I, I think that there was some deal with the devil at some point that <laughs> had to do with, you know, the, um, you know, the the precursor to the Minnesota Twins was the Washington Senators about whom there's a great musical called Damn Yankees mm-hmm. written yes. about a deal with the devil to try to break the Senators' <laughs> streak of losing to the Yankees so i think this is a this is a long running universal thing that someday we'll solve just not not this year <laughs> i guess that i guess that
0: inspires me to ask what um is there anything that this twins organization could do that would make you feel like you could let your shoulders down before, you know, the 2020 season kicks off and you're you're faced with having to, you know, win the Central again and potentially face the Yankees. Is there a thing that they could do where you would say, aha, now we're going to get them. De- Devil deal be damned. We're, yeah. we're going to be able to get them this time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it's the thing that I wish they had done at the trade deadline, which was sign a good starting pitcher. <laughs> um, pitching was a, a bit of an issue for us in yeah. the, the postseason. Season and throughout the season, you know, the, the pitchers outperformed their expectations, but still not to the level of, you know, I was so hoping we would sign Noah Syndergaard or a pitcher of that caliber to really be the ace of the team. So that would definitely give me... A lot of hope for the next time we face the Yankees if we had a true ace.
0: I was going to say, so you are all in on the the Garrett Cole bandwagon then, I suppose.
2: (laughs) Um, uh, uh, Yeah, Garrett Cole would be great. I mean, I'd take him. You know, I wouldn't throw him out or anything.
1: (laughs) So we kind of touched on this, but what was your preseason expectation? Or I guess because uh, two of us are current or, or former 538ers, we should say, what was your prior? That's what Nate would want us to do.
2: So yeah. So in February, my husband went to Las Vegas and bought me a futures ticket for the twins. That was to win 83 and a half games. And I was like, I think they can win 84 games. So (laughs) I won some money. (laughs) And they they did way better than that. But that was my prior. I was expecting them to compete for a wild card. I wasn't really expecting them to, well, no one was expecting them to do what they did right out the gate. I wasn't Mm -hmm. expecting them to overtake the Indians. Although after the Indians offseason where they, you know, kind of shopped Corey Kluber and they weren't signing anyone, I thought, well, you know, there is an opening there because the the Indians are sort of being dismissive of the rest of the AL Central as one does. But yeah, they they definitely exceeded my expectations.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I guess that kind of gets to the heart of the question, which is that if a team exceeds your expectations for six months or so, they bring you a certain amount of joy during that time. And is it negated to any extent by the way it ends? If it ends in disappointing fashion, obviously it doesn't retroactively wipe away whatever pleasure you felt as the season was going. But does it color your perceptions, your memories of the season in a way that sort of tarnishes it?
2: You know, I think I'll remember I'll remember the playoff losses in the grander scheme of the 16 consecutive playoff losses, (laughs) but not necessarily tied to this season. This season, I'll remember for the home runs and for just you know, Nelson Cruz, and for for the joy that the team brought me. And I was lucky enough to go to a game towards the end of the season in in Minneapolis. And I'll remember that for a long time. So for me, the way the season ends does not negate what happened in the season. Because remember, you know, all but one team is going to go home happy. All but one the fans of all but one team are going to go home happy at the end of the year. And so you know if you can't be that the fans of that one team that's okay it doesn't mean that baseball is you know without meaning <laughs> for me anyway <laughs> Yeah, I think you still successfully persuaded me that your team,
0: the team you like best being in the postseason, is more fun than them not, even <laughs> if they lose. I think I've been persuaded to that point. What, as you look ahead to 2020, apart from the prospect of hopefully signing uh, a Garrett Cole or a, a Strasburg if he opts out, what things are you most looking forward to for the next twin series or season, I should say?
2: I'm really interested to see what Rocco Baldelli does in a second season. And you know, I've been mostly impressed with his analytical approach to baseball, as particularly in the context of previous Twins managers. Um, <laughs> that's been that's been a, that's been fun, and uh, the whole organization seems very focused on using data to make them better, and that that's exciting because I think that they'll. They'll be able to come up with things that, you know, will will make these teams better. I mean, I've already been, the hitting obviously has been great. The pitching, they did, I think, a great job with the parts they had. And so I'm, I'm interested to see in the steps that these guys can take next year, but also the players that they might bring in. Yeah. So I'm really, I'm just interested to see how they all do in kind of the second year of that, of that regime to see what what steps they take. Yeah, I, I'm excited. It's like, you know, the day after your team is done is like, oh, it's winter now, you know? <laughs> it's this sad, dark time, but I'm already getting really excited for March, you know? And, um, spring training and the pitchers and catchers reporting how many days is it again I think mean, I need my tracker to... <laughs> yeah
1: and the countdown to the number of days till the twins lose in the LDS hey. to going to... goodness wow. <laughs> wow! I mean
0: par- harsh but fair we so rarely uh, use our guests to ill like this <laughs> I'm horrified I feel like I must apologize if
2: have <laughs> my <co-host.
0: laughs> that's okay it's okay
2: I've gotten a lot you know I live in New york so um it's been a little tough the past couple of days (laughs) yeah i can imagine yeah (laughs) Yeah.
1: well that's an interesting point that you raise about how the twins kind of got on board with modern baseball just within the last (laughs) few years here because these days like almost every team talks the same way they sort of evaluate players the same way and that can kind of be a drag when everyone is doing things Almost identically, at least from afar, but for a few years there, the Twins were one of the few laggards left, like one of the last two or three teams to just kind of say, okay, we're behind the times, and now we have to hire a bunch of people from other teams and start doing the things that they're doing. So was that something that, as a statistically analytically minded person, enhanced your enjoyment of Twins baseball when they got on board and started looking at things that way, or... Did it not really matter on a game to game basis because you're you're just watching baseball or, you know, also there are examples of teams that are very backward and that can make some fans more passionate maybe because they take such umbrage at the way that their team operates that they start blogging about it. And then <laughs> the next thing you know, there's a, a thriving community of sabermetric bloggers covering a team that is not at all aligned in that way.
2: Yeah. For me, it made me like slightly less embarrassed about how the twins were like when they would make, you know, they just, they would make kind of weird decisions in the past. And it was like, do I really want to try to defend this? No. (laughs) So, and also just as, you know, I'm I'm a fan who wants her team to win. So I would like her team, I would like my team to use the best means possible to do that. So it felt to me like, Okay, they're really trying to do the thing that I wish they had done several years ago, but they're at least not ignoring it still. So, you know, better late than never. It's a, it's a, it's what it's trust the process. I think is what you got to do, right?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, and you guys are are the twins, I should say rather. I never know how people prefer to
1: uh, use their <laughs> use their. I've definitely
2: pronouns. lapsed into some wheeze Wheeze, here, yeah which, you know uh, you'll be <laughs> okay. you'll be this forgiven this is an
1: interview about fandom so <laughs> yeah. I can right, right right
0: yeah but it, arguably the twins are even leading in some ways right hiring west johnson away from the college ranks to sort of re-rejigger all of the pitching is you could not finally say you're on the the cutting edge pulling coaches <laughs> up from where they have not previously been pulled from
2: yeah exactly and that was that's the kind of move that could in you know that wouldn't have happened in previous iterations of the twins. So I I really like that. Even though I also understand that like that's not the end all be all. He's not he's not magic. He can't right. you know it's a it's an interesting move and, and I'm glad they weren't afraid to make that move. Also if it it's been a couple of years and it doesn't really work, I hope that they'll be, you know, ready to to let go of that, where that was a problem in the past too, where I think they took too long to move on from ideas that weren't working. So yeah, so I'm. it, it seems very encouraging to me that they're thinking about baseball in a more modern way.
1: I should have asked: Is one of the sixteen losses or the various series losses? Uh, do you hate them all equally? Are they are like your children that you can't pick one? You hate them all. That's how parenthood works, right? Uh,
2: the, yeah. Um, the one, the wild card game two years ago against mm. the Yankees, where they yeah. went up, they they um, they they went up like. Well, they scored several runs in the first inning off of yeah. Severino. And then right. Urban Santana gave up like the same number of runs in the bottom. <laughs> the inning. That one was that that did some damage to my soul <laughs> to get up so much. And then lose was like that. That was that was a tough one to handle. And again, since I've lived in New York, every New York loss um, stings a little bit more. But yeah, they're all they're none of them were great. <laughs> Let's just say that. <laughs> Yeah. I I
0: hate to, to ask the flip side of that, but I guess I will. Is there a is there a good way to not that there's ever a good way to lose a playoff game, but is there a less bad way to lose a playoff game? Is there one where you look back and you're like, ah, well, what can you do?
2: <laughs> well, you know, if if they had won the next game after any of those, I would feel sure. better about them. <laughs> the fact that they were all, you know, if. The game on Friday against, with Jose Barrios pitching, that one was one I felt like, ugh, we let that get away from us. We should have sure. won that game. But, you know, come back tomorrow, it'll be fine. But then it was not fine. And they did not come back tomorrow. And, you know, so there are ones that, like, I didn't hate as much. There have definitely been ones where, you know, they've given up the seventh run in one inning, and I feel like I maybe don't need to watch baseball anymore for a while.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: so there's that too, Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So it sounds like we're all agreed that it's better to be Sarah than Meg, (laughs) (laughs) fandom-wise, that you'd rather root for the team that keeps getting cracks at it than the team that never gets there, even though that occasionally means more acute heartbreak instead of just the low-level depression that (laughs) plagues Mariners fans at all times. But I have seen people asking, and we were just sort of talking about this, but if you had to compare, say, The way that the Braves lost on Wednesday to the way that the Dodgers lost on Wednesday. Or I I guess we could say the Twins instead of the Braves, except that it wasn't blowouts, it was just sweeps. So would you rather have the non-competitive loss where it's clear from the start that you're done and you don't even really get your hopes up, but it's also sort of embarrassing and you just got completely wiped out and you never had a chance, so you feel bad about that too, or would you rather have the one where it looks like you have it locked up and you're counting your chickens, and then something awful happens? <laughs>
2: I think both are embarrassing, right? Like the <laughs> the uh, the you know giving up ten or ten runs in the first inning is that nope. what? Yep. <laughs> yep. <Yeah, laughs> nope. That's obviously not great. But I don't. <laughs> I think now after both of those games, you know, the Dodgers. I'm sure Dodger fans are <laughs> feeling a little embarrassed too uh, but also both fandoms are just sad so um sad about what happened not sad as a characteristic of them okay. um so i think i for me personally there is something where if i know this is done they're not coming back from 10 runs down that's one i mean that's maybe a little bit less hard to take than thinking you have this in the bag it's the 8th inning you're going to you're going to win and move on that's mm-hmm. pretty brutal but let's be honest, the real way to do this is to win the game and <laughs> to not feel this way the next yeah. day or at all. <laughs> so that's really what I'm going for. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yep well thank you for coming on and indulging us and letting us exploit your pain for entertainment you know if <laughs>
2: if other people can't use my pain then really what's it for <laughs>
1: <laughs> right you're bringing Aww. some good into the world out of a bad situation absolutely <laughs> so sarah ziegler is the sports editor at 538 she is the host of hot takedown so you can hear her every week talking about sports and hot takes and also the president of the American Copy Editors Society, which <laughs> I I feel like the three of us could have done a whole podcast on that probably just as a former editor and Meg as a current editor and you as a sports editor. Do you have any pet peeves with baseball copy editing or things that you find yourself copy editing most often in baseball pieces and you want to wring your writers necks because he fix <laughs> them over and over again?
2: Oh, that's a, that's interesting.
1: I'm sure Meg has a long list. No, yeah,
2: right. All
0: of my writers are perfect. <laughs> oh
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all yes. of their hyphens Same. are perfectly placed. <laughs> yeah, yes. but yeah. A,
0: a hypothetical sports writer who you might edit. What, what, what makes that list?
2: <laughs> um, yes, hypothetically speaking, for baseball specifically, that's that's it. That's interesting. We always struggle with how the expected knowledge of our readers like how well Mm. they know certain stats because yeah it's tough when you have a lot of advanced metrics and and explaining them or over explaining them sometimes is also a problem like let's really explain what a run is here you know no thanks (laughs) guys yeah (laughs) so that's that's like that's something i'm constantly having to edit around how (laughs) how much we explain those kinds of
1: (laughs) metrics right well if you're like me or neil Payne, we just link to everything yeah exactly yeah that is that's the best always the best policy and then people can click the link if they want to know and exactly they then they don't have to yeah oh,
0: always good to over rather than under link always a yes. good idea definitely
1: so, very jarring when you then switch to writing for print and find that you can't link to anything <laughs> <laughs> yeah <Oof.
2: laughs> that's it's always fun to see um You know, read more about this here in print where it accidentally (laughs) stayed in from the web version. I love that. Yeah.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, thanks again and better luck next year.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yep. We just wait until next year.
1: All right, we have reached the end of this extremely long but hopefully fun episode, and as I record this, the Astros have vanquished the Rays, so we now know the matchups. Yankees-Astros, Cardinals-Nationals. We'll get into all of that on the next episode, and by the way, happy retirement to Brian McCann. I wrote something this week about McCann and Russell Martin and yadi Molina as potential Hall of Famers, all three of them, so I will link to that if you want to check them out. It's heavily reliant on catcher framing. But since we talked today about the Braves' ignoble Exit from October I thought I'd read a nice email That we received about them And about the experience Of following them this year From a listener named Kyle Who wanted to share this With the Effectively Wild community He writes I am not a Braves fan I am a born and raised Texas Rangers fan But I recently relocated To East Tennessee With no family or friends Or social network Or any real community I have been very lonely East Tennessee is Braves country And the nightly radio call From Atlanta is Crystal This season listening to the Braves Gave me a little bit of normal." more importantly it gave me a window in the larger community it gave me some small talk with other folks at the bar it gave me if however tenuous some kind of tie to this mountainous post-industrial dolly parton infused corner of the country I've been a year in East Tennessee now. I'm very slowly building a life. I have a few numbers in my phone that aren't coworkers. When 2020 rolls around, I don't know if I'll still wear my Josh Donaldson jersey, online impulse buy of the decade. I may return to a myopic focus on the Texas Rangers. The Braves could go back to being just another team. But the 2019 Braves, with their balletic combination of strength and grace, with the small but real comfort they provided me on countless lonely nights in a new city, will stay cherished for many years. Thanks for sharing, Kyle, and glad the Braves and baseball made your world a bit better. If this show makes your world a bit better, you can support it on Patreon by going to patreon.com/EffectivelyWild and signing up to pledge some small monthly amount to help keep the podcast going and get yourselves access to some perks, including a couple of upcoming playoff live streams. Following five listeners have already pledged their support: Spencer, Allison. Evan Thiesing, Mike Minio, and Eric Enzminger, thanks to all of you. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash EffectivelyWild, you can rate, review, and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes and other podcast platforms. And you can keep your questions and comments for me and Meg and Sam Cumming via email at podcastfangrafts.com or via the Patreon messaging system if you are a supporter. Thanks to Dylan Higgins for his editing assistance. You can find my book, The MVP Machine, How Baseball's New Nonconformists Are Using Data to Build Better Players. Leave it a rating and review if you don't mind. And we will be back to talk to you again very soon. And
0: you could see Inside my head The start of the meltdown This time we're dead
1: Fable last season Oh such